sitting down this morning not because uh, I'm necessarily more comfortable. In fact, with my backpack on the back of the stool, it's not comfortable at all. Uh, but I'm hoping by my sitting posture that you will be encouraged to uh, participate in a bit of a dialogue this morning, a bit of an exchange, uh, because there's some things I'd like to really hear from you as we go along. What I'm uh, undertaking to talk about this morning is one of the foundational principles of discipleship, which is to know Jesus and to be known by Jesus. To know Jesus and to be uh, and to know Him and uh, and for Him to get the sense that He knows you. And what we were praying for with Mark is that that God's presence would be here uh, with Mark, that he would feel that presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit uh, and that his physical affliction would be resolved. Mm -hmm. In that way, the, uh, the knowing the presence of Jesus, I think, is, is very significant to all of us. A few weeks ago when Karma and I were talking, we were talking about the, uh, the miracle at the pool of Bethesda. And um, so that's where I began. But I want to tell you this morning that we're going on a bit of a road trip. Uh, <laughs> the pool of Bethesda. So uh, you, if you have children, you might, or you've traveled places with people, you might have actually said to them, well, along this trip today, we're going to stop at the pool. So it's a hot day and your kids are looking forward to swimming, then you know the pool is going to be important. So trust me, we're going to get to the pool, but there may be a couple of side roads that I want to take you down along the way. I have a question for you. Have you ever <clears throat> been in a place where you met a person uh, that it was where you really wanted to be in their presence? That suddenly you find them yourself in their presence or, gee, it would be great to go and sit and talk to that person. Uh, now, I'm not talking about when you first met the love of your life and you get all, all twittery and all that. <clears throat> or after 43 years when you're still twittery. <laughs> but just somebody who had a, a, you know, that sort of magnetism that you really wanted to uh, just chat. Anybody got some examples? Yes. I feel like that when when Eunice was here speaking, mm -hmm. I just want to go back home with her and be her grandchild someday. Just listen to all of her. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Awesome. Great example. Thank you. Yes. So this is a good example of the presence of Christ within us reaching out. Mm -hmm. Any other uh, examples of people who are, you really have that magnetism about them? We had a, a volunteer, um, I, I mean, I can think of many uh, times, but in particular, most recently, a lady who was working at the salt mine a couple of years ago, she was on an education, I think she was studying engineering, 
um, Jujusi was her name, and she was from Africa. And she was just so bright and brilliant and so filled with the love of Jesus. And as soon as I met her, I just, I knew she was a Christian girl. And she came and she did some volunteer work for us. And then she was going back to Montreal to study. But during that time, I just wanted to take her home and keep her. Uh-huh. And, you know, that kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, emotions too. Yeah. Oh, well, you, just, you fall in love. You fall like in love she was just kid. And, yeah, yeah. It was just, there was that kinship or something, you know. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's lovely when it happens. And another time at a, a women's missionary conference. Same thing, mm-hmm. almost identical, but mm-hmm. you know, just that bright, brilliant, and and I think too, there always seems to be something about someone of a different culture too, mm-hmm. but yet you're mm-hmm. you're connected because of the love of Jesus, and it just I don't know, there's some excitement or something there. All right, great, good example. The spirit connects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spirit connects. Oh, yeah. most the definitely. Next to you, and they say, and they say, oh. Wow. This guy comes here every day, and then he's then I take him into my apartment and stay there. We don't have no food, no money, mm-hmm. no clothes, no anything. But he was hungry, and so he knocked on my door, and so I brought him in, and I fed him. Yeah. As God wants to mm-hmm. feed to somebody, yeah. and they're hungry, they're hungry. That's what yes. the Lord says. Exactly. Yeah. That's what the Lord does to you, yeah. Joe. I think you're closely related to this fellow right here. <laughs> <laughs> I had a little more time to think about this, and I've got two examples that I'd like to share with you. Uh, the first is, in my first, so I went went to the University of Manitoba, got my first job. I was in Ottawa working for the International Development Agency on a management training program. And uh, I helped, uh, I was a support worker for an international peace conference that was being held outside of Montreal in a place called Montebello. So we got on this uh, military aircraft that had propellers way back then, and we went to New York, and these dignitaries came to New York. We flew them, flew with them uh, to Montreal, and then we went by limousine to the, uh, this particular facility. As the delegates were leaving, some of us uh, were asked to accompany them back to the airport because they were sort of going one at a time. And I ended up in a vehicle with uh, Robert McNamara. Now, some of you might not know who Robert McNamara is, but at that time, he was the U.S. Secretary of State and the second most powerful person in the United States. So that in itself would have been impressive. But what was most impressive is he didn't talk about himself at all. He wanted to hear my story. He wanted to hear my story. Now today, I don't know if he might have got sidelined with a cell phone, but back then <laughs> there weren't any. But he didn't open his papers. He, he just We sat there together, and Amen. he wanted to hear my story. And I wanted to be in his presence because of that, right? So it wasn't that, I, I guess, because he was a man of significance, and he was interested in me. That was really special. Mm-hmm. Second example is that uh, the one occasion we were over in Revival in Belfast and PEI, and uh, I greatly admire Rob and Mark. And we were there a little bit early, and for those of you that have been there, uh, they very hospitable people. So if you're there before the program starts, they've got muffins and coffee and fruit and all kinds of delicious homemade things. 
So I was sitting there having a coffee and a muffin, and Rob and Mark came along, and he just sat down beside me, and we got into a conversation. It was fabulous, right? I didn't, I mean, I did, I, I do have a, a very high opinion of him, but he and I were having this dialogue, and it was really special. Think about the song we sang this morning. It says, come to the table. Imagine Jesus at that table with you, like Rob and Mark and I were at the table. Only there's something even more extraordinary about it is that Jesus loves you. Amen. Like he knows you and he loves you. This is not, a, a, I mean, it's in a very impressive encounter. But when you come into that presence of Jesus, you think, oh, my goodness. Not only are we having this discussion, but he loves me. watching what happens when we respond in obedience and that joy that comes just from that mm -hmm. alone mm -hmm. is greater than anything I've ever experienced in my life. So with that I say amen. My message amen. is done. That's it. <laughs> Thank you for that, Mark. Four. Don't please don't take the time to look it up because I'm going to go fairly quickly and more would like you to be reflective than than reading. Uh, but uh, if we go to Mark four, this is where Jesus calms the storm, and uh, he had done other miraculous things. But when he calmed the storm, the disciples' response was I can imagine them turning to one another and saying, "Who is this?" And that's what the scripture says: "Who is this?" They had been walking with him and, and going through these times and they didn't fully comprehend who it was. They saw this miracle and it kind of jarred them to say, who is this? If you look at Mark 8, it says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the village, villages around Caesarea Philippi and on the way he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? As we look at the, these views along our road trip today, I want you to have that in the back of your mind. Because we're going to talk about different people and did they see Jesus for who he truly was or did they not? And, uh, and honest, along the way, we'll go past the pool of Bethesda. So prior to this story about the pool of Bethesda, if we go to if we begin, in, which is uh, in John 5. So if we go back to John 2:35, uh, <clears throat> we find that Jesus, uh, the first declaration of who Jesus was comes from John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God. Mm -hmm. So 
because the Holy Spirit had prepared John, he was fully aware of who Jesus was. And he was John the Baptist, no matter what was going on in his life and how many people were coming and how many people were being baptized, he was submitted himself in total humility because he knew exactly who Jesus was. So if we go along this journey a little bit, <clears throat> we come to the place where Jesus called the first two disciples. What did they do? Dropped it all. Followed him. So imagine that. Seeing somebody, experiencing the presence of somebody that was so overwhelming. You said, okay, well, whatever I was doing doesn't matter. Whatever my preoccupation in life was at that moment doesn't matter. something, isn't it? Because we can hardly get somebody to step away for a minute or exactly. two. Yeah, that's exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Not only would you turn away from your cell phone, you'd probably throw it in the sea. <laughs> there is something better here. Absolutely. Something better. Yeah. Okay. So then, <clears throat> they, uh, the next time we see Jesus on his sojourns, he shows up at the wedding feast uh, where uh, he and the disciples met the mom of Jesus and uh, Jesus turned the water into wine. Next, Jesus clears the temple, stirring up more than a little controversy. And then he comes to this discussion with Nicodemus. And it says this. It says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Here we see that Nicodemus had a very good idea of what Jesus was, and we don't know if it was a revelation for the Spirit or something that he had heard, but Nicodemus had a very good idea of who Jesus was. In fact, he was willing, because of his position, to risk everything just to come into the presence of Jesus. Exactly. Exactly. Apprehensive. Yeah. And I think that's why. Because well, he would have been ostracized otherwise. Exactly. Yeah. So he doesn't throw it all away and follow Yeah, exactly. Thank you. That's why we're doing this together. I mean, all of us, right? <laughs> okay. Then <clears throat> Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman at the well really interesting that at the outset she did not well she had a sense of who he was right but by the end of it she was so taken up with this encounter that she went off and brought other people back to say like you gotta meet this guy you have experience what this guy is doing she dropped everything too exactly mm. now if you look at that particular episode in detail Jesus knew this woman. You might recall that he, uh, you know, he said, go back and, and tell your husband, I'm not sure exact words, but, uh, and then she said, well, I'd actually, I don't have a husband. Uh, and then she'd had several affairs, but she was totally acceptable to Jesus in this situation. And, re and she, he revealed himself to her and her life was transformed. Amazing. And her community was transformed. I think. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the next encounter, and 
this might be relevant for some people who are trying in their own communities to reach out, maybe around here, maybe in Halifax. After this encounter with a, with a Samaritan woman, Jesus and his band traveled back to Galilee, a place full of skeptics about who he was. They could not get past the idea that Jesus was just a carpenter's kid from down the street. Right? He was just a carpenter's kid. But in the midst of that skepticism, there was one royal official who had a clearer idea of who Jesus really was. He believed that Jesus could not only could heal his son, and consequently his son was healed, but from afar. So he was believing in the character of Jesus, and Jesus didn't. His presence went through the spirit to the child, but Jesus in his physical self didn't go. But here again, Nicodemus also risked his reputation to come, and he didn't come at night. He came, as far as we know, in the daylight. Okay, so here's our first side road. Are you ready? <laughs> I'll tell you when we're at a side road. Uh, on the surface, it may appear that Jesus was wandering randomly about. So if you look in the details of where he was going, uh, I mean, it's, there's no plan here. He's not on a, a tour of the Holy Land on a bus. Uh, it seems like he's randomly walking about. But Jesus as Lord was, of course, not wandering aimlessly about. He was going where his father told him to go. In John 5, 19, Jesus gave an answer. He said, very truly, I tell you, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself, or he can go nowhere by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So as Jesus was going along his way, following his Father's lead, people were being healed, those that met him face to face and those who believe from afar. And I believe this is a model for us as we seek to connect the love of Jesus with our hurting world. See, Jesus was not following a program or a curriculum or a formula. He was following the words of the Father. He met people where and as they were. Today, we are invited to do the same, to ask the Father through the Holy Spirit who we might touch today. All right, we're back on the road. <laughs> Here we are at the Pool of Bethesda. I think what I'll do uh, is I'll uh, simply read it for you. So this is in John 5, beginning in, uh, in verse 1. So just try to imagine what this looks like. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is a, in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which surround, is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool and when the water is stirred, sorry, when the water is stirred, while I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. 
The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up, your, pick up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who he was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd uh, that was there. Later, Jesus found at the temple and found him at the temple and said to him, "See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you." The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. This is really quite an amazing story. So there are many disabled people lying about at the pool. Why? The uh, New King James Version says that they were waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at certain times into the pool and stirred the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well, and whatever disease he had was healed. There was one man who had been there for 38 years. Imagine the scene. There was no indication of when the water was stirred or how often. So it seems to me that every day all the folks that were there would have been staring at the water, hoping that someone would be around to help them into the water. For this man, 38, we don't know how old he is. He says he's been there for 38 years. For this man, 38 years would have been over 13,000 days of watching the water. 13,000 days of watching the water. Also from this New King James translation, I like it what it says in verse 6. Uh, it says that Jesus knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time. So the other, the, uh, the NIV says that he learned, but I prefer this translation because it's more, I think, along the lines of, of, of the relationships that we're talking about because it implies a foreknowledge. It implies that, that uh, Jesus knew about this man. And Jesus knows about us, right? <laughs> we are known by Jesus in the same way that this man and the Samaritan woman were known by Jesus. So this, the next part is a little confusing, you may find, because it does not say exactly how many people were at the pool. It only says a great number. In this account, only one person was healed. The rest of them, what about the rest of them? We don't know. This is a mystery of God. We really don't understand why it was that the Father would direct the Son towards this one person. The mystery gets, it, it becomes even more mysterious when you think about the fact that he was healed in the physical and not in the spirit. Well, why do I say that? Because Jesus caught up with him in the temple later when he was sinning. Now, maybe he was on the way to being healed in the spirit, but this contrast says to me that Jesus healed him in the physical, but his spirit was going forward unhealed. Who knows what happened after that encounter, but I just wanted to point this out. 
Today, as I look around, I see a great number of people in need of God's touch, in need of the touch of Jesus. Sometimes it is overwhelming. In the midst of such concerns, I am to act as Jesus did and ask the Heavenly Father what I should do. This counsel is available to us through the Holy Spirit if we are willing to pray and, more importantly, to listen. So the, the counsel is available to us. Uh, recently, I had a, a uh, there's a young man that we know, and he has been experiencing the presence of Jesus in a really amazing way. And he came up and he asked if he could pray for me. And I said, sure. I mean, <laughs> you got one of these, you're open to prayer. But he prayed for my physical well-being, and, and that's fine, right? And, he, and in his prayer was I could see these devices flying off of me. And, uh, so he, but there's another aspect to it, because God can sometimes use our afflictions for his purposes. So we need to be very attentive when we come to a, an encounter with a person to pray for what we're being directed to pray for, because sometimes it won't be a physical healing. Sometimes we need to pray for a spiritual healing that will lead to a physical healing. Mm. So we need to really be attentive to that. All right, back to the pool. <clears throat> when Jesus came up to the man at the pool, he asked, do you want to be well? Sounds like the answer should be obvious, right? Today, one might say, duh, duh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On closer inspection, it's not so obvious. One commentary that I read suggested that as a beggar, he could lose a sometime profitable income if he were healed. It's also possible that he had given up hope, in which case his answer today might be whatever. You know, do you want to be whatever? You know, it's, I've been here for 13,000 days. You know, why are you asking me this? I want to get to the water. Like, don't distract me for this. If you, if you want to help, pick me up and take me to the water. Stand there with me so I'm ready, so I can the first one in and be healed all right we may know people today who can't get into their minds being healed people who have suffered for such a long time people who tragically feel that God has afflicted them for his purpose which is a lot different than us walking with God in our affliction it's God is they are suffering because God <clears throat> needs to punish them and they're trapped and they don't realize that God's love can make them well. Sometimes people might have given up hope or they may be terrified of the change. So if we go look at this man, he said he did not really answer Jesus' question. He just said to him that no one's here to help me because he did not know the significance of who Jesus was. He didn't, it says in scripture that he didn't have a clue who this person was. It was just this guy walking past the pool. And that was his focus. He had been focused on this for so long. It must have been really hard for him to imagine that there was some other way that he could be healed.
thing that the Jewish priests felt was impossible. Mm -hmm. Next little side road, the uh, and that's with regards to the pool as a symbol. Okay, if you think about this, the focus on the pool as the way to be healed. Now, I am a witness to the benefits of modern medicine, so don't get me wrong. Uh, I would not be alive today if it were not for this pump and this and the batteries and and all of that. So I. I believe in the benefits of modern medicine. But I wonder in this day and age if we don't have too much focus on the benefits of modern medicine. If we're too, spending too much time staring at the pool for solutions. This morning we prayed for Mark because we believe that there's something beyond the pool that can bring healing. So I think we also as believers as we walk today and are surrounded by you know, modern me medical miracles, we need to keep that in mind that we are walking in an environment with this focus on the pool and we know that there is another way. Not necessarily in isolation, I believe that it was the prayers of people in addition to modern medicine that brought about my healing and sustains me, but not to look at one of them you know, not to look at this idea of modern medicine as an absolute. Okay. So you I also... Know, I, every time I read this story, I said to myself, why didn't you get somebody to put you in the water until the angel come and sprinkle me with the water? If he's going to stay there, you could have gone in and wait for the water to be sprinkled. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> yeah. Get the basic here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe he didn't want his feet to go all pruny, you know. Exactly. Good point. Yes. I heard somebody say related to that that same thing that um, he didn't want to get well. That's why he doesn't want to. And part of it was, like you say, he had an income, but we get so used to. That's a good phrase, poolside dweller. I also want to point out in this, on this little side road of praying for people, uh, that we have an expectation when we pray for someone. We, our hearts are all with Mark this morning as we prayed for him. Right? We're totally with him. And we are praying for this healing. Sometimes we pray for people in the spirit that they would come into a relation with relationship with Jesus and, and show up at church. Mm -hmm. But what happened to this guy? He still had no idea who, who, who Jesus was. He didn't sign up for a, a Bible study class. He didn't become the 13th disciple. In fact, he went off and he sinned. So for us, when God tugs at our heartstrings and says, pray for this person, mm -hmm. 
and we don't see what we'd really like to see, then that's okay because we have been obedient to what God has called us to do in that moment. I think that's what really matters. So I want to reiterate that uh, these verses show that show us that Jesus performed miracles by listening to the Father. And that was his only program. It was the only program that Jesus had was to listen to the Father and also that miracles occurred along his way. So we know that he's following the Lord and from an earthly standpoint, it looks like a totally random bouncing about uh, around the countryside, taking boats back and forth and you know, going up in mountains and all kinds of things. But by following the Father in the moment, then there's the opportunity. Uh, Jesus had the opportunity to do the Father's will. And as we go along in the moment, then we have a similar opportunity. In terms of the possibilities for us, in John 14, 12, it says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Let me read it again. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do every even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So in this day, Jesus and the Father are communicating to us through the Holy Spirit. And when I talk about the presence of Jesus, it's this, for today, it's this communication through this revelation through the Holy Spirit. And so we, as we consider coming to the table, as we consider knowing Jesus, it's, it's this openness to receiving what he would say to us in this day. So I want to just point out a couple of examples uh, to reiterate about this, the presence of Jesus. So we talked about the two disciples that he first <clears throat> encountered and they dropped everything because there was something about the presence of Jesus. For the royal official and for Nicodemus, there was something about the presence of Jesus, not because they looked upon his face as these disciples did, but because they had heard about him and they wanted to come into his, his presence. So also if we look at it that the invalid at the pool was surprised at the healing presence of Jesus. So he didn't know who Jesus was, but he was surprised. And I think that's a significant word to underline for us today, that as we are, are available to the Holy Spirit working through us to be the presence of Jesus in this world, we might be surprised about what he asks us to do. We might be surprised. It's me, it often seems quite illogical. I mean, this hope that we have is not a logical thing, right? You can't, you know, you follow down this route of hope and faith and trust in Jesus. It's not all that logical, really. But by believing in him, we need to stand ready to do things that uh, may seem a little surprising. Counterproductive, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I want to go else because of the time, I'm going to s summarize this scripture. You'll recall, and this is in, um, in I think it's in Mark 3. Uh, wait a minute, Mark 3. For those, for those of you like Barney who are keeping notes. 
Oh yeah, Mark 2, if you want to go back and look it up later, it's, um, uh, this is when uh, this house is full of people experiencing the presence of Jesus. And there's these four fellows, and well, it might have been women, but you know, they, they, they have a friend who is a paralytic and can only get carried around on a mat. So they come to the door, compelled to be in the physical presence of Jesus, and they can't get in. <laughs> they can't get in. And what do they do? They go up on the roof, and they make a mess of the roof, and I imagine debris falling down on people's heads, and they lower this guy down into the mm -hmm. physical presence of Jesus. And what does Jesus say? He said, your sins are forgiven. Mm -hmm. Jesus, in this example, so he's, he's not, he has no preset script. <laughs> this person comes into his presence and he says, your sins are forgiven. And then after a little fisticuff with, his, with the Pharisees, he says, get up. He physically heals him and says, get up, take up your mat and walk. Get up and take up your mat and walk. So these men, these friends, were compelled to come into the physical presence of Jesus. Now for us, we don't necessarily have a crowd in the room where we can't get in. We don't necessarily have a roof that we need to dig through. But there are things that hold us back from doing, from getting into that presence of Jesus ourselves or bringing people into that presence. And uh, we were uh, at Jesus to the Nations on, uh, on Friday night, and uh, the speaker there was saying, sometimes we need to jump over the fence and start to tell the story. And the way I look at it, sometimes we have to get out of our comfort zone. I have a true life confession that Ethel and I have been taking this course at our church in Halifax called Bridges, and it's Bridges to Good Communication with Muslim People. And for the last uh, nine weeks, the instructor has encouraged us every week to go out and just talk to a Muslim. Now, they're in the mall or at the library, but I have not chosen to go across the street. Now, I don't avoid them, but nor have I chosen to, uh, to speak up, to say, hi, how are you, having a nice day. I have all kinds of reasons and preoccupations. So I think that, that 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 for me, it's like this barrier at the door or in the ceiling that I need to get through. So if Jesus wants me to bring his presence to someone for surprising things, for illogical things, for whatever reason, that I don't have these things in the way. So that is my confession to you today. Ellen.
I think we have to get going, don't we? I haven't put the mouse traps out yet. I, we, we really have to go. <laughs> so I asked you the question at the beginning, who is Jesus to you? And as we walk through these examples, people knew Jesus in different ways. And Jesus expressed his the love of the Father in different ways to different people in different circumstances. So as we consider who Jesus is to us, he is this person who loves us, who has amazing things for us to do, who reveals himself, as Mark has said, through the Holy Spirit. If we focus on that, then how do we make ourselves available? So we can read scripture, we can be in prayer, and we can ask the Lord what ceilings are in the way for us to come into his presence and fully experience what he has for us, knowing that that love is coming and knowing that his awesome presence is more than enough, but to know that he loves us is right over the top. And if unworthiness is getting in our way, then what is it about that unworthiness? That How do we walk through that to get the clutter out of the way so that we can fully come into his presence? <laughs> you never can tell. <laughs> Ethel and I read a, uh, a book recently called uh, Christ Actually by a fellow by the name of James Carroll. And uh, it's a very, uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting read, but there's a, there's a lot of meat and potatoes there. It's not one of those things that you're going to flip through in a big hurry. But he says, back to my theme of discipleship. He says, discipleship is a commitment to the memory and presence of Jesus that makes a difference in how a life is lived, driving thought and behavior week in and week out. Discipleship is a commitment to the memory and presence of Jesus Christ that makes a difference in how a life is lived, driving thought and behavior week in and week Allow me, let me close in prayer. Lord Jesus, be very present to us through scripture, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, so that we might carry your presence into a heating world or a hurting world. Bring us to that place wherein we are willing to risk and even do foolish things when you are calling us. As you follow the Father, May we also follow you. In your name we pray. Amen.